Welcome back to our study of the names of Jesus. We got a good one uh, for you today. We've been looking at the scriptural uh, references and, and, and names that we find in scripture for Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, and helping to understand him better by examining what those names mean and why those names are used. Today is going to be a good one, but it's a tough one. I'm just going to tell you right now, you really have to stretch your mind and open your mind a little bit because this is going to kind of fly in the face of some of the things we've always thought about Jesus and about what it means to be the Son of God. It's going to challenge a little bit of that, and it might cause you to look. I might show you, I'm going to show you some scriptures here, and you might look at it and go, I don't know if that's what it's saying, and that's fine. You, you can disagree. I could be wrong, and you could be right. But I, I think that it has a lot to do with how we define Jesus and how, what perspective we take on Jesus. Because there is a difference in talking about Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of God as Jesus. Okay, And you'll understand what I mean in a little bit. So we're going to go ahead and get started then. And where we're going to start is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right at the beginning of the chapter. Paul says in talking about the Jewish people that your forefathers were all under this, uh, they, they walked under the same cloud, they were led in the same sea, through the same sea, the Red Sea, and the cloud being the cloud and the pillar of fire that led them. And it says that they ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink, and that uh, this spiritual drink came from a spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. And then you keep moving on through that verse, but put the brakes on and back up, because what Paul just said is, mind-blowing. Because when we think about Jesus, Jesus came and lived in the first century AD for about 33 years. He had a ministry, performed miracles, we told parables, and he was killed, and through him we have salvation, eternal life. He is God incarnate, he is the Son in the flesh, and he dwells with God. That's how we define him, and that's where he lives and stays. And here Paul, the preeminent writer of the New Testament go, comes in and says, but Jesus was also in the desert with God's people providing for them and protecting them. I mean, wait a minute. Jesus was there? Jesus was present back then? Well, yes. In a sense, he was indeed. Or at least what would one day become Jesus? What do I mean by that? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel writer there says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now, when we read that verse, we understand that he is talking about Jesus as the Word of God. Well, that's an interesting way to refer to him. What does that mean? Because we talk about the Word of God, and sometimes we mean the Bible. Well, the Word of God is the message of God, or the messenger of God, if you will, but it is whatever the message is and who's delivering it. That's the word of God. And John says, because his whole gospel is about the divinity of Jesus, John says that Jesus is the word. He's the message and the messenger. And not only that, he's been with God from the beginning. Now, when we read that, we think, well, there's God up there at creation and there's Jesus sitting next to him. Like, No, no, that's not quite what John says. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the, then the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we're off to the races with the story of Jesus. See, it's not till the Word becomes flesh does it become Jesus, which means that this Word, 
or the Son of God, this part of the Trinity, is out there with God working in this world, doing things and manifesting himself in different ways. I don't pretend to be an expert on the Trinity. I don't understand all of it. I don't think anybody does, and I don't think we can explain it. What I understand is this. It's three parts that are one thing, and it's one thing that's in three parts. How is that possible? I don't know. But here's the best I can do in understanding it. God is one God, singular God, but he is made up of three elemental parts of his nature. And they work in concert together to accomplish his will, whether it be the power and the love of the Father, whether it be the protection of the Holy Spirit, or whether it be the work of the Son as the Word of God, the message and the messenger of God. And we see those elements popping up consistently throughout Scripture, doing things consistent with that aspect of their nature. So what am I suggesting? That Jesus shows up in the Old Testament doing things? Well, sort of. Again, are we, are we thinking of Jesus as the Son of God or the Son of God as Jesus? I want to propose to you that Jesus Christ represents the final and most substantial and important manifestation of the Son of of God or the Word of God, but that the Son and the Word have been making appearances for a long, long time. And what is the Son or what is the Word? Well, it is the communicative nature of God. It is the part of God that delivers a message, that brings forth a proclamation. And oftentimes, we see this referred to with a phrase, with a name, the angel of the Lord. Okay, now you read that and you say, well, it could be any angel. Well, there is a difference because sometimes we see an angel of the Lord and sometimes we see the angel of the Lord. And that, that definite article certainly means something. That seems to make a consistent connection with the angel of the Lord being a specific angel. But also the word angel. We think of wings and harps and halos, but angel just means messenger. So this is a messenger of the Lord, and it's not just any messenger of the Lord, it's the messenger of the Lord. And that phrase, the angel of the Lord, shows up over and over and over when God has a message to give someone. And sometimes that message has to do with redemption. It has to do with sacrifice. It has to do with salvation. And if, if that angel of the Lord, and I believe scripture shows us, is the son of God, or as John calls him, the word of God, then that tells us a lot if we look at those stories about who this is that becomes Jesus Christ. Because as the angel of the Lord manifests himself throughout history in different stories, then it's also that same word, that same son, that angel of the Lord that manifests himself as Jesus Christ. And understanding what happens in those interactions is a really beautiful way to understand what happens in our interactions with Jesus. But let's dive in and look at some examples then, shall we? First of all, let's talk about biblical languages a little bit because this becomes clearer if you understand that. 
When we talk about what the Bible's written in, there's two languages that come to mind. They are Hebrew and they are Greek. The Old Testament's Hebrew, the New Testament's Greek. That's pretty much true because when the Bible was translated in its final form in these books that we have, that's what we had. But there were some changes in some interim languages that were used. Primarily, um, well, of course, there was the, the Hebrew Old Testament, which was translated into Greek, um, or at least it, it was Hebrew and Aramaic translated into Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. But um, out of uh, kind of reactionary attitude toward Christians, the Jews uh, get, got rid of their Greek um, Old Testaments, or Greek Bibles as they would call them, and they began retranslating everything back into Hebrew. They went back to Hebrew. So that's why we have a Hebrew Old Testament and a Greek New Testament. Ah, but you heard a word in there when I was talking about that Septuagint. They translated out of what? Aramaic? You see, the Jews were in captivity for some time or in exile for many, many generations. And over that time, they lost a bit of their language, a bit of their culture. Hebrew died. The language of Hebrew died. And they began writing some new material, edited material, manuscripting, copying. I mean, that's how they kept the word and the stories alive, right? They had to keep writing it down. But they don't have Hebrew anymore, so they start translating it into this new language called Aramaic. And by the time we get these books that make up the Old Testament completed, we have some manuscripts that are in Hebrew, but also in existence that we do have our manuscripts in Aramaic. Some of the Dead Sea Scrolls are Aramaic. And it's a different language, and that means that it handles certain words differently. And it's able to express the meanings of certain words differently. Um, different languages can express things different ways, and some languages don't have a word for certain feelings or emotions or what have you. But, for instance, in German, they have this uh, word schadenfreude, which is kind of this almost dark kind of joy we get at bad news or at tragedy. Um, we don't have a word in English that describes that feeling, but the Germans do. Isn't that odd? Um, and the same is true with uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. There are things that are written or said in Hebrew that, 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 the, that the words don't exist for, and the ideas are carried forth in the Aramaic a little bit differently sometimes. And that's true especially with this issue of the angel of the Lord. So I give you all that background on the language stuff to say that we had, there are some of the Old Testament things that were written in this other language and translated, and they have a little bit different flavor. So here's an example. In Genesis chapter 16, we read about Hagar. Now, Hagar is really struggling. First of all, her name, that's not her real name. That Hagar means foreign woman. Uh, we don't know her real name, but she's a foreigner. She's not a Jew. She's not an Israelite. Uh, she's not... Um, she has nothing because Sarah, her master or her master's wife, has kicked her out. Kicked her out, made her leave. She's on the run. And then in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to her and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And he gives her a blessing here. But I want to skip ahead because in verse 13, it says, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Okay, stop. This was the angel of the Lord. 
the, the angel of the Lord. But as we might say, if we were giving a literal translation, the messenger of the Lord or the word of the Lord. Hang on, though. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, saying, You are a God of seeing. And for she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. I have seen the God who sees me. Such a beautiful, beautiful response from Hagar. But as I mentioned, we have a version of this story that's written in a different language, translated from the original Hebrew into a new language called Aramaic, which handles certain words and phrases differently. Now, we call these... Uh, Aramaic versions, the Targums. So if you go to the Targums, which are the Aramaic uh, retellings of these stories, if you go to the Targums and you look at the words that Hagar says, she says, I have seen a God who sees me, but where it says that she calls the name of the Lord who spoke to her, in the Aramaic it says she gave thanks and prayed in the name of the word of the Lord who was manifested to her. Wow. Wow. Now, you might look at that and go, oh, well, she's talking about uh, the, the word of the Lord, you know, the message of the, of the Lord, this, this message, and it was manifest in this angel. It doesn't have to be the Son of God. It doesn't have to be Jesus, but hmm, the word of the Lord, so be it. So let it be just a message that God is giving. How did he deliver that message, though? There is a part of God's nature that gives us what we need to know, that reaches out and communicates. So let's take away the the, the, the physical being that's there doing it. Let's take that out of it. Because maybe you're thinking, you're envisioning Jesus standing there talking to her. She wouldn't have recognized him as Jesus, and if she had lived 2,000 more years, she wouldn't have recognized him then either. We're talking about the nature of God that wants to talk to us, to communicate with us, to deliver us a message. And it manifests itself in Genesis 16 as the angel of the Lord who shares this with her and she recognizes that angel as God or part of God or something from God. And she says, according to the Aramaic Targum, the translation that she gave thanks in the name of what? The word of the Lord that had manifest itself to her. It's hard to ignore that there was something special about this messenger or how this message came. We could talk about others. We could talk about Revelation 19, uh, where there is a writer uh, coming to save the day, and it says his name is written, but you can't know his name, and then the name is revealed. We get let in on the secret. What's his name? The Word of God. It's Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. Manifest to us. We would describe Jesus the exact same way Hagar describes this angel of the Lord. And that, to me, is too much to be a coincidence. In Genesis chapter 18, we see three strangers show up to talk to Abraham uh, and tell him eventually, he, he, he gives them you know, great hospitable welcome, and as they're leaving, he recognizes one of them as the Lord and refers to him as such. And this stranger turns to the other two strangers with him and says, should I withhold from Abraham what I'm about to do? Or should I tell him? And he goes on to tell him what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the angel of the Lord that Abraham is interacting with. In Genesis chapter 22, well, here's a beautiful one as well. Genesis chapter 22 is the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. We know the story. And you know the story that when they get up there, Isaac's not stupid. He says, hey, where, you know, we have the fire, we have the wood, we have everything, but we don't have a burnt offering. And what is it 
that Abraham says. Uh, in verse 8, he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. That's the Hebrew Jehovah Jireh. Um, but in Aramaic, it says something a little bit different. In Aramaic, that verse reads this way, the word of the Lord will prepare for me a lamb. The word of the Lord will prepare for me a lamb. The message of the Lord, the word, what is the word? It is the message or the messenger. It is the son. The son that was there in the beginning, the word that was in the beginning, that dwelt with God, that was God, that dwelt amongst us. It's Jesus. And look what happens when he goes to sacrifice Isaac. It says that uh, Abraham reached out his, uh, the knife to slaughter his son, but what? What happened in verse 11? The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, I'm here. He said, don't lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him, okay? And from there we see there that there is, in fact, a sacrifice provided. But what did Abraham say? He said, the word of the Lord will provide a lamb. And then the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, shows up to deliver the message. Now, here's what's beautiful about that. If the Son of God shows up to stop this sacrifice, understand that where they are is a place called Mount Moriah. And on that mountain and on that mountain range is going to be built the city of Jerusalem. And near that very spot, is going to be the place where Jesus is crucified. The word of the Lord, Abraham said, will provide a lamb. And the angel of the Lord stopped him. And generations, centuries later, millennia later, near that same place, the word of the Lord, according to John, became flesh, dwelt amongst us, and gave his life on the cross, provided the sacrifice. Jehovah Jireh. It's too hard to ignore. It's too beautiful to ignore. So what do we say about this? We have this angel, and the word angel just means messenger. That's the, the Hebrew for messenger. So we have a messenger delivering the word, the message of God, providing sacrifices. All these descriptions of God, all these things that are, are of this angel, which is God, which is part of God, an, uh, an element of his nature. There's only one thing that fits the description of the word and the sacrifice and the message and the messenger, and it's Jesus. That's the only thing that fits the description. In Exodus um, chapter 3, we see the burning bush story. Moses is out shepherding sheep. He's been kind of in exile for some things that happened in Egypt. And he's out there, and he sees a bush that's on fire, and he approaches it, and he hears uh, a voice coming out of it. Let's go ahead and turn over there to Exodus chapter 3, and uh, let's just look at how uh, what, what we hear here. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Who is it that speaks to him out of this bush? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet was not consumed. Okay. So who speaks? We always say, well, God spoke to him. In a... No, the angel of the Lord speaks through the bush. The angel of the Lord. The Son of God, the Word. Is this the element of God that would become Jesus? 
speaking to Moses, the great liberator? What an interesting thought. What an interesting idea. He tells Moses he's going to go back. He tells him to go back and demand the freedom of God's people. And Moses isn't a real fan of this idea. And so he says, he kind of challenges here. He says, you know, if I go to the people of Israel, this is verse 13, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. Notice how they use God and the angel of the Lord interchangeably because it is God. Remember, Jesus is God. But the, the angel of the Lord is the messenger. So there is this, this communicative element of God. There is an element of God that talks to us. And he does so through the Son, through the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, the Word, which will become flesh. So he says, you know, I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What do I say to him? This is an interesting question Moses asks. Okay, you want me to go free your people. What if they ask me what your name is? What am I supposed to tell them? Now, this is still kind of a great mystery here because we have some things in the ancient texts that we can't quite translate. Uh, a set of consonants that makes no sense. Uh, it doesn't make a word. We think that's just a stand-in for the name of God because they felt it was too holy to even write. So we get things like Elohim and El Shaddai and, and, and what we call Yahweh is just four consonants that don't go together. And the word Jehovah, which many of you are probably saying, oh, it isn't his name Jehovah. Uh, no, Jehovah's a made-up word. We took the uh, vowels of Elohim and we stuck them in between the consonants of Yahweh and we got Jehovah. There you go. Sorry to disappoint you there. So what does God say and what does the angel of the Lord say? He is to tell them. What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, again, the angel of the Lord speaking as God, uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am going to fast forward, though, to John chapter 8. And we go back to the gospel writer who identifies Jesus as the word. And he's having a conversation about the heritage of God's people and the history of God's people and how they came from Abraham and from Moses and out of slavery and how he is the light of the world and all of this. Um, and he, <coughs> excuse me, begins describing himself as the truth and, and the, you know, uh, and how the truth will set you free. And then he says something, um, oh, that would have been so, it, it was controversial because right after he says it, it is so blasphemous to the people who hear it that that's, they try to kill him. They try to kill him right away. Um, but here's what he said that just set the religious world on fire. The Jews said to him, or let me back up a little more. Um, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Now, we look at that and go, well, that grammar doesn't make any sense. That's right. I am. I am that I am. What is the name of God? I am. He simply is. There is no name. Just that he is. And when asked, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I exist. I transcend. Because why? Because I am God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. 
they are all one, and yet each one represents an elemental part of God's nature. And part of that nature is the word, the message being delivered, the gospel that came through Christ. But it was not the first time that the Son had manifest himself to deliver a message from God. I would submit to you that the Son has been presenting himself for a long, long time to God's people and to the people God wished to communicate with, fulfilling his role as the Word, the message, or the messenger, or we might say the angel of the Lord. This one's tougher. This one's a little more abstract. This one stretches our minds a little bit. But it's important to understand that if this is true, if the angel of the Lord is, in fact, the Son of God showing up, then that means when Jesus came, that was the angel of the Lord showing up one last time to finish the task, to rescue us, to save us, and to draw us home to be with him. I hope this was helpful to you. I hope it was a blessing to you. And I hope it doesn't make you twist your brain up too much because it sure does me that way. But we will be back next time with uh, another installment of The Names of Jesus. And I hope you can join us then. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.